0: The OTV Sports app. Listen to OTV Sports Radio 24 7, plus all your favorite podcasts, including OTV Gold. Are you a complete rookie? The OTV Sports app, available to download now from your App Store. The OTV Podcast Network, with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural, protein powered chicken bites. You ain't shit. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass.
1: Welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five o'clock. You can text us on 53106. We're streaming live as well now. You can watch us on the Off the Ball social channels for Periscope and Twitter at Off the Ball on YouTube and on Facebook. We're also streaming on the OTB Sports app. Search OTB Sports in your app store to download it. This is the Saturday panel. Will there be an Olympic Games in Tokyo at the end of July? Let's hope so. We hope that the IOC are right when they say it's full steam ahead, but it is an uncertain world we live in with this COVID-19 pandemic. That said, many Irish athletes are continuing to train and dream of not only walking behind the Irish flag in Japan, but also winning a medal at the Summer Games. So we're joined to talk about it over the next hour by three of our Olympic hopefuls. Athlete Brendan Boyce from Milford and Donegal, canoeist Jenny Egan from Lucan in Dublin, and taekwondo star Jack Woody from Tala in the capital. Brendan, Jenny and Jack, how are we all getting on?
0: Good. good, Thanks,
1: John. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, you're very welcome. Um, Tokyo, guys, in a state of emergency today because of the pandemic. The summer games postponed last year. They're due to start on July the 23rd. Set to go ahead, but not a cast-iron certainty in this uh, prevailing health environment with COVID-19. Brendan, I believe you're in South Africa at the moment.
2: Uh, Yeah, that's right. We flew out here just before New Year's, so been here about nine days so far and i'll do another two weeks here so uh, everything's going good so far
1: so is this to do with heat and acclimatization with the 50k walk brendan
2: yeah we'd normally do some kind of warm weather camp but um i guess this kind of looked like the best option um for us at the minute so um yeah it's kind of going to be a strange year for me because i'm expecting uh twins in February so I had to make the most of January.
1: Oh fantastic, <laughs> so fantastic. Come so you're getting your last uh, piece of sleep Brandon, for the next 21 years.
2: Yeah yeah. everyone's mocking me here about getting my naps in during the day and <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this will be my last uh, training camp till the summer so trying to make the most of it
1: uh well good luck with the birth uh, brandon um jenny you were in the form of your life before the whole uh, situation happened with lockdown um how have you tried to keep on an even keel when it comes to training especially the fact that you probably have less access to the water than you would have had
0: yeah john so um thankfully this lockdown i'm able to be on the water the last time i spoke to you was april 2020 and I was in the first lockdown and we weren't able to be on the water um, but thankfully I was able to train on land be it running, gym from my house and I also had a canoeing ergometer lent to me by Canoeing Ireland which I'm very grateful for so thankfully this lockdown is different for elite athletes we're allowed to continue training um, which is great and thanks to Sport Ireland and the Olympic Federation for allowing us to continue training and to my club Sam and Lee Canoe Club as well so It's like I say, for me, I'm just getting on day to day with my training regime, training 14 to 16 sessions per week. Um, And yeah, my life, I'm trying to keep it as normal as possible and just control the controllables every day. Um, Obviously, we're in a different situation than our normal training year. But, you know, athletes are very resilient anyway. They have to deal with so much um, disappointments. Um, more so than success really so the resilience we learn from that is probably helping us through this COVID pandemic and you know everyone has to deal with resilience at this time in their lives be it uh, in work be it in school college their home life relationships you know everyone has to be resilient and just keep on going and try and think about the the light at the end of the tunnel as such and you know we're in a good situation now that there's a vaccine available we just kind of have to get over the next few months and Hopefully competitions will go ahead. Um, We're planning for the competitions to go ahead. I'm planning towards the Olympic qualifiers in May, which will be a European continental qualifier, and then a global qualifier within a space of one week. So that's where my training's at at the moment, and we're completely focused on those events. And, you know, you have to be, you have to act as if they're going ahead. You can't have any doubt in your mind because it won't help you at all. Jackie, you've been living with the folks at home
1: um how have you yeah. managed to train and uh keep yourself going mentally and physically during these recurring lockdowns um so
3: with the with living at home it's uh not ideal most of the time it's uh it can be quite difficult especially when you come in after a hard day and you know there might be you know stuff going on at home but it's um it's good though because the first lockdown i actually moved in my training partner which is my best mate as well so he was here for three months um, we were able to continue training. I had um equipment lent to me from a Sport Ireland Institute that I was able to bring home and keep up my SNC. We are able to um do a bit of kicking as well uh, with my training partner. So that kind of kept me motivated. Um, I don't see the point in being negative about everything. Yes, it would have been amazing to be at the Olympics last year, um, but I don't think I probably wouldn't have meddled last year. I used this time to get better I use it to get stronger like the the last maybe couple of years I was consistently competing all the time and I never had like a big period to train and improve I was just constantly using competitions as like training camps and stuff like that so to have this big block of training to be at home to be you know at ease not having to worry about competing and getting medals I could just focus on myself and I think I've used the last year very positively and I don't see why I can't be going into the games hopefully in J- July um, and taking a gold medal home because I definitely feel like I'm, I'm one of the favorites to be going out and becoming an Olympic champion in my sport so well,
1: that's great confidence, Jack, and why not um wouldn't wouldn't possibly associate Taekwondo as the first thing they think about with the Olympics um Maybe explain to the uninitiated, like myself, uh, just go back to the start. Like, what is Taekwondo? It's a Korean martial art, but just maybe give us a bit of background to the sport itself.
3: Yeah, So um, the sport has actually developed into more of a modern sport. Um, very, you could be quite biased. The referees and the um, and the judges could like sway the uh, the points, but we with things now with electronics we have uh, these socks that we have they connect with the sensors in our body armor so um we it's two points to the body three points to the head and an extra two points for spins Um it's especially nowadays there's a ranking system to qualify for the olympic games you have to be top six in the world in your way to get in and then and if you don't get that each continent has a, its own qualifiers look how i got in so About qualification, I got in in the top six in the world, but that was just because we had to keep smashing competitions. Um, it the the sport itself, it's quite dynamic. It's quite, it's not something that many people have seen before. See the graham and you've got like different other sports that might be using their hands a little more. In I try to explain taekwondo to people as if it's boxing, but. You've got boxing in the Olympics, we use your hands. You've got Taekwondo in the Olympics, we use our feet. It's very similar.
1: Um, Brandon, how did you become a 50k walker?
2: Well, that's a long story. (laughs) 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 I guess I just always uh, kind of had athletics as my number one sport growing up. And I actually won my first All-Ireland in the 80 meter sprints when I was seven years old. So. I went from the shortest event to the longest event in athletics so i've tried everything um yeah so i just developed through the sport tried everything um fell into race walking when i was about 12. Um, and then uh, just kind of progressed from there like just literally jumped into a competition uh community games as most people probably start in race walking um yeah and then just kind of loved the fact that it had more elements than just running so you had the technical side of the event um, and you also had the training side of the event so there was more to kind of keep me occupied and uh, i was able to progress every single year through the sport and get faster uh, the, the distances got longer and longer and um, kind of i guess uh, my speed was probably my weakest point and um, so I guess I transitioned to 50K at a kind of a younger age than most athletes. I think I was 23 when I, when I first raced 50K. So, um, And then at 24, I qualified for the London Olympics. So then I kind of got stuck with 50K then from then on. So I wasn't able to go back down and train with the speed again. So yeah,
1: um, 50K just became, became my event. How do you deal with the mental challenge of 50K walk, Brandon? What are you thinking about? How do you regulate your thoughts during it? um
2: there's when you're in a competition there's a lot going on so in race walking it's just on a 2k loop so um you have your own drink station where you have your personal drinks and then on the other side of the course you'll have um water refreshments and stuff so and then you have every every lap you have your your split and kind of different to marathon running you can judge every split very accurately because the course is the exact same every 2k is the same so you know When you take your split, um, how how your body's feeling, how your heart rates are feeling. Um, So you're constantly just thinking about, um, I guess, preserving energy for the end of the race. So I'm very much focused on my um, nutrition strategy and cooling strategy, depending on um, the conditions. So, yeah, especially for Doha World Championships and probably, again, for for Tokyo, if it's going to be hot. Like, that'll be the main focus. And then... Um judging the competition then so try and try not let the gaps open up too much um uh, especially if it's kind of faster race I feel like race walking is more like a cycling race or something where somebody might just go off at the start and the peloton just lets them go and then eventually we'll start picking it up and the group will come through with the race um, so you have that kind of strategy as well in race walking that you don't really have in any other event even the marathon like it's survival of the fastest you know there's a group at the front and the three medalists are going to come from the first group um which is pretty much what always happens but in the 50k there's way more dynamics um you can have to race against yourself and race against the distance and race against your other competitors and yeah your own physiology so there's there's a lot to think about um yeah i wouldn't exactly be drifting off uh, in the middle of a race about food or drink or
1: anything <laughs> yeah or, or having twins uh or having twins brendan um we're speaking to brendan voice uh, jenny egan and jack woolley here on the saturday panel about the olympic games and their uh, various disciplines do you have any questions for our panel 53106 our text number uh jenny sprint canoeing explain like what that is about and the skills that's required to uh, be good at it
0: yeah, so spring canoeing has different distances. So the women's K1 500 meters and the women's K1 200 meters are the Olympic distances. And then I would also race the women's K1 5000 meters, which is in the European Games. So in the women's K1 500 meters and the women's K1 200 meters, you're in your own lane. So it's a buoyed lane and you're against eight other competitors. So there's nine competitors in a race. And for those distances, you would have heats, semi finals, and finals. The K1 5,000 meters, though, is similar to, in a way, to Brendan's 50K, let's say, because everyone is let off from the start and you have to go around certain boys. But then in between those boys, it's like a, a free for all, as such. So I like to compare it also to cycling because we can wash, wash, hang. So that's similar to the draft mechanism in cycling, where you can sit on a wash and reserve energy. So, you know, the smartest person can win the race, possibly, if they're reserving more energy. They don't necessarily have to be the most aerobic or the fittest or fastest if they are tactically aware. So they're the two different type of disciplines that are in canoeing and I would race in a 12 kilogram boat and the stability of the boats are very difficult. So most people, when they sit in our boat, they just fall in straight away. So there's big skill level among canoeing and all the different distances. And we have to be so technically efficient. I've been in this sport since I've, three years old and I'm still working on my technique every day trying to make the the stroke as efficient as possible because the more efficient you are obviously the less energy you expend so it's a very difficult sport and most people go on until they're around 40 years of age because it would be similar kind of to rowing as well in terms of it takes kind of a long time to get to the top of the sport. However, that said, you know, some people would peak at a younger age than others, but it is a sport that takes many years to uh, get good at.
1: Yeah, Jenny, like you're you're, uh, there's a story that uh, you're already in the boat before you're born because your mother was uh, involved in canoeing. Your dad has been, your brother has Mm -hmm. been, your fiance um yeah. it's dominated your life uh, do you ever get to the stage though where you know what you say to yourself sometimes this is so immersed in my life that sometimes I don't want to get in the boat today I don't want to think about the boat I'm sick of the boat do you ever get like that
0: no John I'm very lucky um thankfully I have such a passion for my sport and you know passion gets you through anything in life and my family like you said my mum my dad my brother and my fiance they're all involved and that's that's great for me because they understand the work that I put in day in, day out, and they understand how much I want to succeed. And we're very good at kind of splitting the two areas of our life. So when we're training or when we're competing, that's when we're working. But then, you know, when we're at home, we try and switch off and not always talk about canoeing. So... I'm very lucky because, you know, not not many people, like I'm sure Brendan's wife is so understanding to him, he's he's able to go away in a training camp now. And, you know, you have to surround yourself with people like that because if they don't understand the sacrifices that you're putting in and the choices that you're making in life to get to the top, it's very difficult to succeed without that support. Jack, you started
1: out yeah. on taekwondo because your brother was getting a hard time.
3: Yeah. Um, so he started it actually when he was around eight, so he was five years older than me. I used to just go down and watch him train and stuff. He was getting a bit of a, he's getting bullied in primary school and my dad just put him in just in case like he needed to defend himself. But I used to go down and I did it, like my granddad was a gymnastics coach. So like I was quite flexible. Like he, was, he used to have me in the garden, like doing car wheels and flips and have me in the splits and stuff. So when I went down and see everyone throwing these big high kicks, I was like, I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to start. But, Unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to start until I was six because that was just the rule. So on my sixth birthday, I went down. I was that was probably my birthday present. Like was to go down and have my first training session. And then since then, I've never looked back. Like I've, I trans- I was. I'm not in the same club I was when I first started. But um, I met my coach who was actually my Olympic coach now when I was eight, and I've not looked back since. It's just been hard work since then.
1: It's amazing, Jack, that something upsetting in the family can turn into a positive thing. In a way, it's almost not accidental, but it's it it's a circumstance of something that was bad was happening in your family, and now you're 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 going to the Olympic Games in Tokyo.
3: I know you you never know what what's going to happen. Like um, I, I find that things happen for a reason. Like we had um, such a roller coaster of a journey trying to qualify for these games, but it's kind of built me into the person I am today. Like I see negative things as a positive. They're going to help me learn a lesson. So with what happened to my brother when he was younger, it kind of, it worked out in my favor. And I feel like even the negative things can make you want to strive and do more. So I don't see things much as a negative anymore. I just take them as they come.
1: Okay. We've got to take a break. We're going to come back after the news with more chat with Jack Wally from a uh... The sport of Taekwondo, uh, Jenny Egan, the canoeist, and uh, Brendan Boyce, the walker, about the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Uh, listeners or viewers out there, do you have any questions for our guests? Five three one zero six. That is a text number. You can reach us on Twitter at off the ball. Just give you some scores from the FA Cup: uh, Boreham Wood nil, Millwall two. It's Everton one, Rotherham one, Luton Town one, Reading nil. Full time: Norwich City two, Coventry City nil, Chorley one, Derby County nil. That is the latest score. And Nottingham Forest one. Uh, Cardiff City nil, that is the latest score. Three clock kickoffs Blackburn Rovers, Doncaster, Blackpool, West Brom, Bristol Rovers, Sheffield United, Burnley, Milton Keynes, Exeter, Sheffield Wednesday, Oldham are playing Bournemouth, QPR against Fulham, Stevenage against Swansea, Stoke Leicester, Wickham Wanderers, Preston, and a half five star Arsenal, Newcastle, with Manchester United taking on Watford at eight o'clock. Back after the news with Off the Ball Saturday and the panel. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. This is Off The Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until 5 o'clock. You can text us on 53106. You can tweet us at Off The Ball. We're back with the Saturday panel. We're talking about preparations for the Tokyo Olympics with three of our hopefuls, the athlete Brendan Boyce, the canoeist Jenny Egan, the taekwondo star Jack Woody. We're streaming this conversation live as well so you can watch it as well on the Off The Ball social channels. From Periscope on Twitter, at Off The Ball, on YouTube, Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app. Um, Jack, when you qualified for the Olympic Games, how did you feel? Um that would that's actually a good question because
3: I expected to feel this like amazing euphoric moment and speaking to other athletes who um are out in the sports institute with me who've qualified for Olympics previously, I thought there was something wrong with me, like that I didn't have this like amazing, oh my god moment. But um apparently it's it's normal. It's more it was more of a relief. We kind of we've spent so many years trying to get to this point there was so much pressure just taken off my shoulders um so it was it's amazing now thinking back on it i kind of just got used to it and i look back on it now going okay we've done it i'm very proud of myself but at the time when i found out it was like oh okay great we don't need to worry about having to go to a qualifiers because we did for had to go to a qualifiers for Rio and we didn't make it we got a bronze and you needed to get gold or silver so um that was very heartbreaking for me especially because I was so young so when we did qualify this time I was a little bit older and I just it was like I'm gonna say every single time but it was just a relief
1: did the disappointment actually help you in that it steeled you
3: Oh 100% yeah Um, we said when we didn't qualify in 2016 we sat down and said we're going to automatically qualify so we're going to make it to the top six and we spent four years working so hard strategy was such a big game for us because we had to look at how to get the ranking points and it came down to even going to some competitions to stop other people getting ranking points like flying over to Vegas for Pan-American championships, stopping them, flying to Australia as well in 2019. It was just, it started getting very strategic. So that definitely, the fact that we failed at the qualifiers for Rio, it made us be like, okay, we need to automatically qualify. We don't need that stress. We're going to do what we have to do. And we did it, so.
1: Yeah, Jenny, you missed out in London and Rio by one spot. Uh, psychologically, <laughs> you know, you've had to come overcome those disappointments. How do you then train your mind that you're going to be able to produce the best that you can during the qualifiers? And do you feel that the form you've showed will be enough to get you to Tokyo if you reproduce it?
0: Yeah, so obviously, you know, those two two years, the London 2012 and the Rio were quite heartbreaking. London 2012 affected me more probably so because I was younger and it was kind of one of my first real disappointments in in my sport. Um going into 2016, I said to myself, no matter what, I'm gonna have the best, best results of my life so far in 2016. I wasn't going to give up on the rest of the year if I hadn't qualified for Rio 2016. So I actually went went after the qualifiers and did new Irish national records and won World Cup medals. So it was the way I dealt with that disappointment then made me continue to succeed over the past few years Um, our sport is different in terms of there's very limited quota places available for the Olympic Games, there's only 246 quota places available throughout all the distances that be the men's, the women's K1 distances, the crew boats the K2's and the K4's So, and over 1500 athletes will compete at a world championship so it's very small quota places available and those quota places have to be distributed among all the continents and Europe just unfortunately happens to be one of the hardest place to qualify um, I've beaten people from other continents at world championships and then they went on to their continental qualifiers and qualified so yeah it's you know going forward all I can do is control day in day out my training focus on what I need to improve on and then hope for the best on the day that everything will come together um, in May. So I, you know, I try and just think about the training I'm doing. And then in the preparation for the competition, I have a set regime of what I do from the days leading up to it, to the morning of the race. And by focusing on the strategy and the preparation, that kind of helps me then feel I'm at my most prepared
1: um, Brendan, um, you progressed along the way through two Olympic games in the top twenty within Rio, then six of the world champions. The last World Championships at uh, Doha. How have you been able to improve? Has Rob Heffernan's uh, coaching been a factor in that?
2: Yeah, it's been it's been vital uh, influence. So before the London Olympics, I was training in the UK under a, a UK coach, Andy Drake, and he brought me through. Um, probably about 5 years before that up to the London games and then when i saw what rob did uh, in london um like i just had to i knew i had to train with him um to train with the best um to get to become to that level so yeah um as soon as um he didn't get back to me straight away but eventually he said he'd coach me <laughs> and i could train with him but i'd have to move to cork so yeah at the end of 2012 um After finishing uh, 26th in the London Games, uh, I moved to Cork and started training with Rob full-time. And yeah, pretty much every year since then, it's been progression. Um, I mean, maybe not every championship you get the result, but I feel like every year I'm getting stronger and stronger. Um, So yeah, uh, improved. I guess Rio was 19th and then... I was very unlucky to get injured before the world champs in London in 2017. Um, And that was probably the first year that I was able to actually train with Rob, like pretty much every day. Like I was in super shape that year and Rob ended up finishing seventh in the world champs, uh, yeah, in 2017. And then I think he got scared and decided to retire. And so (laughs) I was able to take over and then progress on to the world champs in 2019 and finish sixth, so yeah. I, I've I just feel especially with the fifty K like year on year it makes massive difference to how you can cope with the training and how you progress. Um especially because we only probably race two fifty Ks a year. So it takes a longer time to gain that experience in racing as well. So yeah, I, I guess at, at thirty four years old now, I feel like I'm finally in a position where um I know pretty much everything there is to know about uh the sport, how to race property over 50k and yeah how to train and periodize my training every year and yeah definitely feel like even over the last year since lockdown even though we haven't competed um Rob's been very very strict with um setting goals and targets for the whole year so back in May last year we decided we were gonna do a marathon just something slightly different and so I ended up doing a marathon time trial um on the roads around where I live uh under the restrictions so I ended up walking 308 for a marathon which was massive improvement even on where the 50k uh, performances had been before that and then all over the summer we raced um, time trials over 5 k and we were lucky enough to get some international competition in September as well so I raced 20k in September and then just before we came out and um, we did a 30k in Cork and I did another massive PB over three minutes so Yeah, look, everything's been progressing year on year and I've used 2020 to my advantage, I think. Um, So, yeah, I'm looking forward to finishing out um, the season and um, especially after uh, the IOC have decided that the 50k is not going to be in Paris. So this is the end of the road for me. So I have to be all in for the next six or seven months.
1: Um, There's going to be breakdancing at the Paris Olympics, but no 50k walk. It must be quite frustrating. um look I get, I get that they have to innovate, but
2: I guess my problem is to give athletes like three years' notice that it's all over, like you know athletes train for fifteen twenty years to compete at Olympic Games, and I guess I'm lucky enough now that I'll be competing at three games, but you know someone maybe in their mid twenties who thinks they can go to the Olympics in fifty k and I was you know maybe dedicated ten years of their life training and now the IOC has decided that other events are more popular or they're gonna bring in more revenue. So I guess it's kind of um frustrating that they'll come out and say they're an athlete focused organization and then they'll give you three years notice that your your time is up. So yeah, that's the frustrating part. But I wouldn't um you know, I wouldn't be I'm sure breakdancing takes a lot of skill and training, but
1: yeah. <laughs> So you would be devastated, Brandon, obviously, if the Olympics did not happen this year because of the pandemic.
2: Yeah, I guess if 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 it's cancelled this year, then my career is over like.
1: <laughs> and I've
2: wasted two years of my life uh, because we would have been training last year or this year. So, yeah, it'd be pretty devastating for me to have no Olympic Games.
1: Are you worried at all about the health conditions over there, Brandon? Like the villa, you've been in two villages. What is the village environment like? I expect it's very, very um clustered. Um yeah, I think it's not probably
2: great because you know, you have your, your own apartments, but you don't have um your own kitchenettes or anything. So everybody has to eat in the canteen. Um, so you're mixing with pretty much everyone three or four times a day, you know. So, yeah, but um, I think because of the heat, uh, we're going to be racing in Sapporo, so it's probably likely that I will not be in the Olympic Village at all for this this game. So we'll go straight from our holding camp in the south of Japan straight to Sapporo in the north. Um, so we'll probably, for me, I'll probably be the one of the more isolated athletes where we're gone from kind of very closed... Um, and probably secure environments in our own Irish camp, and then straight up to Sapporo, where there's only going to be uh, racewalks and marathon athletes. So I'm sure again that'll be fairly well controlled. So yeah, I'll probably miss the Olympic Village altogether. Uh, won't be going to the opening ceremony if it goes ahead. Um, yeah, and then after I compete,
3: um, yeah, we'll see what happens after that.
1: Jack, are you comfortable with this? Have you any qualms? Have you any worries?
3: Um, not really. Um. My biggest issue with the the virus is actually because I live at home and my um, my dad is in his seventies, so that's my biggest issue with it. I'm being extremely cautious now with the. Well, I can't be bringing it home, so we have been abroad. Um, recently, I've been to tra- two training camps over the, uh, during the quarantines, and I've been to the European Championships in December. We have taken all the protocols I've had to do. I have travelled, so I know that the fact that I haven't got it it's not like certain that by traveling that somebody's going to catch it and I'm lucky that I'm actually fighting on the very first day of the Olympics so because I'm the lowest weight and my sport is on at the very start that I fight the day after the opening ceremony so even if even if it does go ahead I won't be there because it will be on till late at night and I'll be up bright and early in the morning ready to go so um, and after that, there's no reason for me to stay. I'll be going home. So it's literally a very quick in-and-out job for me. And I won't be I won't be too nervous about the virus, I don't think.
1: Jenny, would you see it as ethical for athletes to be vaccinated before the Games? Dick Pound of the IOC was intimating that the other day. Is it ethical before the most vulnerable are vaccinated, in your view?
0: Yeah, it's a very difficult situation, right? Um, obviously, the most vulnerable in the world is... It's the most important, um at the end of the day, life is the most important thing in your health. So I don't think it's very fair to kind of put one one like athletes in front of the most vulnerable. And um, I just think maybe that they could push to get everyone the most vulnerable vaccinated along with maybe athletes the fastest of I, I do think the most vulnerable has to be vaccinated first to be honest because at the end of the day your health is your wealth and but hopefully that can happen quickly it's just the problem I think is the fact that not all countries are on equal par in terms of getting vaccinations and um, so that's probably the most difficult in terms of and then the other question is is the South African virus and the UK virus, I think they know that the vaccination will work for the UK strain. But I'm not sure if they know yet about the vaccination working for the South African strain. So these are all questions that no one really knows the answers to yet. But hopefully over the next month or two, there'll be more knowledge around the area.
1: You've done work with Sport Ireland, uh, Jenny. Uh, what's the support system like at the moment in terms of funding for the Olympic sports? Uh, what improvements can be made there? How how well do you feel supported as a carded athlete ahead of now the qualifiers and hopefully the games for you?
0: So I'm so thankful to Sport Ireland and the Olympic Federation of Ireland. You know, it's been such a difficult situation for them as well as us. You know, they have to try and plan logistically and they have to change their plans, you know, very quickly also. So I'm very thankful, and the support we're getting is second to none. Um, I'm also on the Women in Sport Steering Committee with Sport Ireland as the only athlete representative, and this steering committee is put in place to um, oversee the Women in Sport policy, which is four main target areas: that's leadership and governance, coaching and officiating, active participation, and visibility. So. The amount of work that Sport Ireland are putting into all different areas of sport is uh, amazing. I can't um, say thank you enough to them. They've also brought in a women in sport maternity policy, and this is a huge stride forward. I've gotten messages from all around the world when this maternity policy was put out in the public eye and everyone is trying to follow the Sport Ireland policy. Pathway as such, you know, Sport Ireland are really leading by example, and um, I'm very thankful to them for their support to myself and all athletes. Yeah.
1: Um, no Olympian is going to be rich, Jack. I, I believe you were trying to uh, was it sell eggs or something on the sideline to to keep a, a bit of extra cash coming in. Um,
3: yeah, well, I was about twelve to about fifteen. We got my dad wanted pet chickens so in order to raise funds because at, at that age I wasn't a part of that lead obviously and funds were pretty difficult especially because the amount of times you have to travel my sport like I could travel up to 20 times a year for competitions like to try and get those ranking points so at that age I uh, sold the eggs at, at training I came down and parents from my club would, would get them off me I used to go around selling them at doors we then I then set up a business called Ninja Nosh which was a a gingerbread company that was like shaped like ninjas and stuff. So, we we sold that at competitions and we raised funds for the world championships in Taiwan back in twenty fourteen the junior worlds and we we raised enough funds for me to go over there. I was the only one on the team, so it was a a big thing for me to get there and you know prove my point that I'm I was ready to go for Olympics. So, um the the businesses definitely helped and it just shows that. I put my mind to something, I get it done and that's just the type of person I am.
1: I'm hearing a lot of with, with Jenny as well, with the, her family and, and yourself, Jack and Brendan. Jack, a lot of um, sacrifice, huge amount of sacrifice that your family have, have made. Yeah, definitely. Like
3: there's, I've only found out recently that there's been times where my parents were literally had nothing left because they were sending me away. Um, it, it, things got very difficult, but they didn't tell me at the time, obviously because I was young and I would have felt quite guilty. But now that I'm a Cardinal athlete and hearing everything, I'm just so grateful. And you know what? The, the biggest thing I'm grateful for is them having to put up with me and my horrible mood swings <laughs> when I'm cutting weight because my weight cuts do be – well, not, I'm not as bad as em- anymore because I fight minus 58 kilos, which is the Olympic weight. But before, to get my ranking points, I used to have to fight 54 kilos. And that was horrendous to make. And I was so moody. I was dehydrated. I was – literally eating ice cubes for dinner it was such a, a horrible experience but i got through it and i'm so grateful that my parents didn't keep me out of
1: the house so so Brandon what do you uh just listen to Jack there how how do you eat and drink to help endurance what's your nutrition like
2: um i probably <laughs>
1: the
2: exact opposite like i do i do so much mileage i probably eating like 3 or 4000 calories a day um so yeah I can in the summer when I'm on my training camps I'll I can lose three or four kilos in weight on a training camp and and when I'm eating 4,000 calories a day just because I'm training so hard I just can't literally can't eat enough to to keep my weight up like so yeah I'd probably be the exact opposite of where Jack's coming from making weight (laughs) so yeah I find it hard to eat enough food like we did a 30k session this morning, and it was so so hot, and uh, we were just like, all I had was a small sandwich, like just a, it's all I can eat. Like my energy is so low after training that I can't even have food, so I'll have to eat like another, a huge dinner tonight now to make up for it, so I can train again tomorrow. what it be, but, carbs, uh, steak? Um,
1: What's it going to be, Brandon? What's going to be on the menu this evening in South Africa? Uh, I have
2: a, a bolognese in the fridge ready to go, so I don't have to cook it. <laughs> Yeah, so now we massive massive uh, carbs, I guess, because the mileage we're doing. And then um, I try uh, alternate days for kind of high protein as, as well. So I don't have to eat too much protein on the day. I'm doing longer sessions just because it takes longer to digest that kind of food. So I try to uh, alternate the days when I'm eating high protein. And then I always have high carbs then the day before and the, and then after big sessions as well. So... Yeah, there's a lot of kind of science that goes into it and then strategies then for competition for fueling as well. So I have to drink, I guess, nearly four liters when I'm racing 50k and even in hot conditions. I think in when I raced in Rio, I think I drank four liters and I still lost three kilograms in weight. Um, so yeah, basically sweating about seven liters uh, in, in a race. So that can Especially your salt levels and stuff. So, you have to be very, very careful about um, what you're taking into your body and how you're fueling for competitions and everything. So, yeah, I guess a lot of science, but also kind of <laughs> you kind of have to eat what you can as well. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Like, so Jack, like as Brendan's saying, you're the opposite. You're about a jockey's weight, you're about nine stone. So, what's the daily diet for you? How do you uh, manage your nutrition?
3: Well, I'm actually very lucky now that um, I eat quite a lot. I train a lot more often now. Back then, it was I was training with jackets on just so I could keep my weight down. I was actually walking around heavier than I am now, even though I fight the heavier weight. It was because it was, it was fluctuating so much, so I would have literally been not eating very much. But when I was able to eat, I would binge, and then it would just be all over the place. But now my weight is steady. It's actually a lot lower um, than it was before. I was cutting maybe eight nine kilos to get down to 54 kilos but now i only cut three for 58 so i'm actually feeling a lot healthier and um, if i want a dominoes i'll get a dominoes you know if i want a bit of chocolate i'll have a bit of chocolate i don't i don't need to restrict myself so much but coming up to a competition um i definitely need to just watch it a little bit and just get it down
1: jenny are you allowed a Domino's?
0: Uh, so like that you know anything in moderation but our sport is pretty is a power to weight ratio sport you know we have to pull and push our weight through the water so um thankfully it's it's not a weight category sport which is great um because listening to jack there losing eight or nine kilos is um a lot of weight to lose but um like that we have to try and keep as lean and strong as possible so um maybe coming into competition I might be a little maybe two kilograms lighter than I would be in the winter time um but we need to keep our power as well because obviously 500 meters and 200 meters is very powerful sport so we need to keep our strength and our power as well as trying to be as lean as possible so but yeah you know you have to kind of you can have something in moderation i if if you want to have a pizza you can have a pizza it just means you don't have it every day you know you have a treat every now and then and um you just you're just smart about kind of what you eat and there's you know food is fuel at the end of the day and you have to eat well to allow your body to perform well
1: so what's your daily diet then jenny
0: oh okay so um i probably would start off the day before training with a coffee and then and maybe a protein bar or some yogurt and oats because um, I'd be on the water at 7 a.m. most days. And then after training, I would have um, a sandwich of some kind and a coffee. And then I would have a nap and then I would have lunch. And that could be another wrap, uh, a big wrap, you know, filled with chicken and vegetables and um yeah, so that would be my lunch and then I'd probably maybe have another small snack be it yogurt or oats or fruit or something small before going training again then in the afternoon. So for me, it's kind of, I prefer to eat kind of smaller amounts more often rather than big meals. Because I find if I ate a big meal during the day, I would just feel so tired afterwards. You know, your body takes energy to digest big meals. So I prefer to kind of eat small more often and keep my energy levels and blood sugars up that way. And then I would have a bigger dinner then in the evening time. So um, it could be anything like Brendan said, bolognese or chicken and rice or sometimes maybe steak and sweet potatoes. So yeah, you do have to kind of keep your blood sugar levels even as much as possible, because at the end of the day, we need the fuel to train and to perform.
1: Um, in terms of the Olympic Games themselves now, Jack, you've qualified. Taekwondo is about kicking primarily, sometimes aimed at the head, uh, obviously in a safe manner. But technically, what are the skills that you're going to be able to have to um, demonstrate to contend for a medal?
3: Um I think I'm just going to have to stay focused. I, Like I said, I don't think I would have got a medal if it was put on last year. And if I did, it would have been scraping a bronze. Um, I've competed in the last year, maybe two against the high athletes and the ones that are qualified. So I just need to focus and just concentrate and base my training around them. That's really all I can do. I'm going to go in feeling 100% like I the last year, I've really gotten stronger and stuff. So, yeah, I'm going to definitely have to pull out a few new tricks as well because everybody knows how I fight. We all know how we, we all fight. Um, we're all competing against each other constantly. I'm the flexible one with the crazy legs that can hit you from any angle. But if somebody knows and that they're fighting me, they're going to be focused on that. They're going to be like, okay, I, don't need, I can't get hit in the head with these crazy kicks. So I need to be make sure i'm switched on i'm ready to be blocking them so i need to have something in my back pocket to whip out in case anybody has studied me perfect and in the first round i'm a bit like okay they've got me sussed so it's just working on things like that that i can have last minute not panic and go in and just give them my best shot
1: brandon what are you going to need to be able to do to to win a medal is it is the key thing is to work out the 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 time of the race in your head as you did in Doha there where you got the time very good and the sectionals and all that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, for me, it's going to be working, I guess, to my strengths. So I know how I can get the best out of myself race-wise. Um, so I guess my... When when we were racing in Doha, I was, I was kind of licking my lips because I knew it was going to be such a slow race. I was like, this is perfect for me. Like some of the guys like five minutes faster than me over 20k so when i knew it was going to be a slow race i was like right this is perfect just do your thing and come through the pack so i was able to kind of nail that strategy on the day so um something similar for uh, i guess next year but i guess this year i was able to you know get some pbs in over shorter distances so even over 5k i've improved um and you know over 20k i've been more consistent at at the faster speeds as well. And over 30K, I was able to do a three minute PB. So my speed has improved over the last year since Doha. Um, And then it's just about kind of racing, I guess the conditions that we find ourselves in on the day as well. So um, if it's hot and humid, you know, have a strategy for that. And if we think it's gonna be a little bit of a faster race, um, we're gonna have to be prepared for that as well. So um, yeah, 50K is kind of all about you getting the most out of yourself um and you know if if everyone is is on their game um maybe i'm not good enough to win a medal but i feel like if i prepare 100% and give it everything then at least i have a shot and that's enough for me to to go there and you know be confident as well so yeah like i guess for my <laughs> for my event there's um the world record holder for 20k is going to be And uh, for the guy who won um, in Doha, he's the 20k world record holder. So he's um, number one. And then Johan is obviously, he's the 50k world record holder. And Mate is the defending Olympic champion. So it's probably uh, one of the toughest events to go, especially in Japan when there's a Japanese favorite for the race as well. So it's going to be a a tall order, but um, if I can do everything possible, um, at least I'll have a shout uh, at getting up there and winning the medal. So that's enough that's enough for me to keep keep the head going and stay positive for the year.
1: and what's it like being an Olympian brandon? Do you get a huge sense of internal satisfaction about the fact that you have been an Irish Olympian? You've walked behind that flag?
2: yeah, I guess i've I felt it more probably in in London because as I was kind of younger, I was uh, twenty five, you know and it, it felt like a home games as well because you know, My sister lives in London, my whole family flew over to watch the event. I mean, it's probably to this day, the biggest um, race. I think there was maybe 30,000 people on the streets and probably like 40% of them were Irish because everyone was just able to get easy access to travel over there and the race walk is a free event. So anyone who wanted to turn up could turn up. So yeah, it was absolutely amazing to have the Irish vest on racing in london and i guess there was probably a little bit of a buzz with rob being in the race as well as he was probably our kind of main medal hope for the london games as well so yeah it was great uh it was great to be racing and have no pressure at the same time because everyone was kind of looking at rob and i was just doing my own thing in the pack so yeah yeah to finally make it um especially being in athletics for so long um watching uh you know sonia in athens and sydney and you know dreaming about that you know watching the stadium in sydney you know when there was i guess hundred thousand people you know uh just everyone shouting and sharing you know to just feel that rush uh is amazing and then i guess when it came to rio then it was more about getting the job done and trying to be the best athlete you can be and it'll probably be the same in tokyo you know you're going there to do a yeah. job you're not there to uh really enjoy yourself as such but hopefully you
1: do <laughs> yeah sure and and hopefully it goes well for you Brandon. um we're briefly we're running out of time here jenny like hopefully you will qualify if you qualify do you think you would be competitive for a medal and uh, is there life beyond the canoe or have you got paris also in your sights
0: so like i said john my main focus now is is on the qualifiers and that's all i'm focusing on and trying to get do the job there so that's my main focus not even thinking towards tokyo at the moment just the qualifiers so yeah. You know, I love my, I love canoeing. And um, I always say as long as I am improving and I'm enjoying it and I feel like I'm succeeding and getting, getting the results I should from the training I'm doing, I'll, I'll stick at it for as long as possible. And like I said, you know, most people in our sport goes go on until around 40. So for me, yeah, I want to go as long as I can, as long, as long as my body allow me to. And, you know, we're so lucky to have the support of Sport Ireland and I'm so thankful for that. And as long as I keep enjoying it and keep feeling like I'm improving, I'll do it for as long as possible.
1: And Jack, you have the final words. This hopefully will be the first of many Olympics for you in Taekwondo.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh,
1: We've got this one
3: and then we've got Paris and I'll hopefully go for the one in LA in 2028. But unlike Jenny, my sport actually finishes quite sooner. Uh, we wouldn't be last and much past 30 so the fact that i'll be tor- just turning 30 in 2028 20, will probably be my last olympics but to say i've been to three olympics and hopefully have taken a few medals along the way it'll be a pretty a pretty impressive career for that i hope
1: that would go down in history for the sport well jack Woolley, jenny egan brendan Boyce, we have to leave it there good luck with your preparations we hope to see you on the Olympic stage in Tokyo this July and August. We would dearly love to see you win a medal for Ireland. Thanks so much for your time today.
0: Thanks, John. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers.
1: This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. We are back after this. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball.